0: Forum for Frank Talk, about what people do for a living. Work's due. Hello, and welcome to Work's It's September 5th, 2014, and this is episode number 86. I'm Kate Gase Walton. I'm the editor of Work's an online collection of essays and interviews in which people ponder their work lives. In this episode, I speak with Karen Lynch, a 29-year veteran of the San Francisco Police Department. Here's the interview. I'm speaking this evening with Karen Lynch, who is a retired homicide detective. And Karen, I wanted to start by thanking you for taking the time. I'm so happy to be here with you. So I uh, asked for a few listeners to weigh in with questions, as you saw, and I uh, have a few of those. Um, But first, I wanted to start just with the beginning. I know that you spent 29 years in the San Francisco Police Department. How did you uh, first get into the force and and what drew you to that?
1: Well... I, my book is actually kind of the story of why I was drawn to this job, and um, the reason I think I was drawn to it was that I was a feminist at the time and still am, and um, I came out of college in 1980 into a kind of a terrible economy. It wasn't quite as bad as maybe a few years ago, but it was, um, you know, the headlines were all, worst economy ever since Great Depression. and. And I had a degree in French, which was fairly useless. And mm-hmm. I had intended to be a nurse but had failed organic chemistry several times. <laughs> <laughs> that was becoming a huge obstacle for me. I was obviously not gonna get into nursing school. So I I was sitting in a bar, um, sort of drowning my sorrows in the summer after I graduated from, from Berkeley, trying to figure out what I was gonna do next. And I looked out the window, sipping my Irish coffee, and I saw a woman driving a police car up Columbus Avenue at Broadway in North Beach, and I had this epiphany, this moment, where it was like a lightning bolt striking me, of, of just knowing that was what I was supposed to do. And it was very soon after they had just begun hiring women as police officers, as patrol officers, until maybe four or five years uh, before uh, the time I applied, women were not allowed to be oh, patrol wow. officers.
0: And had you, did you have any... Um police officers, patrol officers in your family, or was this really just a a lightning bolt based on seeing that one woman drive past you?
1: I actually had the opposite of police officers in my family. I grew up in a very, I grew up in the summer of love, San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, and my family was sort of um, unconventional, um, a little bit counterculture, I guess you'd say. My mother was mentally ill, and she Went in and out of mental hospitals most of my childhood, and so she hated police. And um, but for me, during my childhood, cops were the the people that I sort of relied on, and I knew that they could would come and take me somewhere safe when my mother was out of control, not on her medication, and so forth. So I think I grew up believing that the police were people I could go to when I was in trouble. But in terms of my family. they were the opposite of supportive of of police. They did not like my choice and uh, did not want me to do it.
0: Right. And did that give you any pause at the time? Or did you just feel deep conviction that 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 was the right path for you? Well,
1: the odd thing for me was, when I had that moment of epiphany, or whatever you want to call it, um, I really felt like I was meant to do this. And um, maybe it's irrational, maybe it's a little crazy, but I didn't, I, nothing would stop me. Once I got this idea that I was supposed to be a cop, I really felt like it was a calling, like like somebody up there was telling me, this is what you're supposed to do. And so uh, knowing my mother would just be totally irrationally mad um it, you know it was it made me fearful of her reaction but mm. it didn't stop me mm. nothing in you know in the end nothing would stop me i just it was something i had to do and i really couldn't even explain why it was complicated in a sense because my mother was a feminist and so there was a part of me that was driven to do it just because there were many Men in the culture at that time being interviewed by the, by the Chronicle and different newspapers saying that they didn't think women could cut it on the streets and that they'd get killed and um, or they'd get their partners killed. And there was a very stubborn part of me because I was very strong and I, I was mentally very strong and physically somewhat strong, I thought. Um, but there was this part of me that was like, don't tell us we can't do it. We can do it. Why can't we do it? So it's kind of a stubborn thing. Too, right. You know?
0: And so what were those early years like, your very first years? I was trying to understand better the career path of a homicide detective. I assume you start first as a uniformed officer. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So I, I went through the police academy
1: and um, and then did training at Central Station, which was right where I had been sitting that day when... I saw the car go by, so I ended up working where there are nine district stations, and it was kind of funny. I ended up right where I imagined myself. (laughs) And I worked at that station for quite a while. Um, I left for a short while, but I basically worked nine years of patrol, and then I was promoted to an inspector, which is what we call detectives in San Francisco. And um, for a number of years, I did accident investigations and other sorts of investigations, and I waited for my name to come up on this list to be interviewed to go to homicide because, for me, that was sort of the top of the food chain. That was the dream job. Always, I've always, I have always always wanted to be a homicide detective. Maybe I read too many Agatha Christie's. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I was going to ask is what was the appeal for you? What, what made that your dream job?
1: Well, you know, I think it was probably the cultural um, sort of uh, – you know mm. the idea that it was this attractive thing that it had right. to nash or something that um, that it was an interesting thing to do. Um, it's the most homicides are the most challenging cases. It requires you to use every single skill you have as a police officer. You have to be really good at interviewing people, talking to people, reading people. you have to know how to write, impeccable search warrants. You have to know how to testify on the witness stand. You have to, you know, it just takes every yeah. single part of police work. And so much is at stake. Someone's life is at stake or someone's future is at stake. And right. so you want to make sure that you do right by the family and you want to make sure you get the right person and you want to make and get him in custody and, and that he stays in jail and all of that. So there's really high stakes. Yeah. So I think that's what was appealing to me, to me about it.
0: And one of the listener questions I received, which was from William Jackson, was what surprised you most once you were actually doing the job? Because as you say, you know, we all have these ideas about the job because we've all watched a lot of TV and seen movies. How did the reality of the job compare to what you imagined it would be?
1: Well, I think even though I had grown up in this counterculture, San Francisco, I was surprised to the extent that um, Americans don't like cops as a group. And, of Mm -hmm. course, we're seeing tons of that um, the last few months because it's been a gigantic issue um, with Ferguson and everything. But that shocked me because my own perception, even growing up with people who were not particularly fond of cops, um, I would seldom hear them insult cops or call them pigs or anything like that. I mean, occasionally some of the hippie kids would do that. because I grew up in a, a head shop. My parents owned a head shop. To me, <laughs> I was <laughs> just I had this totally crazy uh, childhood. But um, I can see know, why I, you I, have
0: to write a book. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, yeah, I had to write a book because it was so crazy. So yeah, and so that surprised me. Just that people don't respect. The uniform or cops the way I did, mm. and so that was interesting. That you know, not yeah, you know, not all people. You know, right. plenty of people did, but so that made it a more challenging job than I anticipated. Yeah, and I also, I suppose, even though we were reading all this press about women can't cut it as cops and blah blah blah, in my head, I I know, I guess I knew that um, there were m- many people who didn't think women could be street cops. I also was under the sort of erroneous um, idea that that we were actually wanted by the police department, that the police department um, had decided that women should be cops and <laughs> they wanted us. but yeah. really they, they had been forced by court order to bring us in. And this is, you know, this is all part of being twenty 21, 22 years old and just being completely naive about how things work. Right. And um, so the city had been forced by court order to hire us. And so going into the whole training, thing, knowing, finding out gradually that they really did not want the women there. Um, It was very revealing and and, um, kind of disappointing in some ways. Um, Although, you know, my classmates were fantastic and I had some great support among my own peers, but Mm -hmm. it was mostly the older guys who had been there for a while and they didn't like
0: the fact that things were changing. Hmm. Another question that um, William William Jackson asked was, as you think back, Uh, On the years of cases that you worked on, is there one that sticks in your mind as particularly memorable or or one that you were most proud of having worked on?
1: Well, there were lots and lots of memorable cases. Um, We had a totally bizarre case where a motorcycle gang member from uh, from, uh, Fresno area came into town and he killed the president of the Hells Angels. In, on his own turf. I mean, he went into a bar that was sort of in San Francisco in the Hell's Angels neighborhood, and and what, and killed the you know president of the Hell's Angels. So that was a really interesting case because um, because the the shooter ended up going fleeing, and and I had to go to Barter, bar, Bartlesville, <laughs> Oklahoma, which is like a really hmm. strange place to end up. So that was an interesting case. But I had so many interesting cases, um, some extremely upsetting ones where. Um, a mother who was very despondent and tried to take her own life and her two children, and ended up just killing one of her children, and so that turned into a huge court case. And mm. um, but I would say, in terms of being proud of my work, um, with along with many of my coworkers, we we did a, a huge investigation that, and a lot of um, gang members from the Sunnydale gang in San Francisco ended up. Being arrested and with the federal RICO statute, and and that was a really good case. We mm. ended up sending a lot of people to prison, and that was a that was a group effort. And I mm. think Hunters Point became safer for a time. I, you know, it's you never totally stop anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I, I did notice that it seemed like the numbers, the shootings, really went down for a long period of time. And I think that 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 case may have had something to do with it.
0: Right. But. Some of the questions that I received um, from Catherine Merrifield, from Amy Red Griner had to do with the mental toll that doing the kind of work that you did for so long um, might have taken on you. Um, how would you describe the mental toll? Did you feel the burden of it one way that um, Amy Redgriner uh, phrased the question was, how did you maintain a sense of optimism or belief in human decency, you know, sort of in the face of what you were seeing every day?
1: Yeah, I think that I, I was able to do that for a few reasons. One of them was that I already had had so much training doing that, having grown up with a mother who was crazy, I was pretty much able to compartmentalize her bad behavior from my other life. Like Mm. I would go to school and it would be happy and that would be my safe place and I would do great in school because I knew I was safe there and nothing, you know, in my mind, nothing bad could ever happen to me. And then she would do horrific things and I would just kind of file them away as this is not normal behavior. So Mm. I think I'm pretty good at sorting things that way. And I think also the fact that I grew up with this unconventional family allowed me to, to do different things like meditation and things that might be kind of far out to the average cop, you know, but maybe most people would think, oh, cops wouldn't do that kind of thing. I was doing yoga and meditation and that sort of thing, you know, years before it became commonplace for cops to do that mm. uh, back in the 80s and stuff. So um, I think all of that really helped. Yeah. And then having fortunately I've been blessed with a really good marriage and and children um, and so they kind of keep me grounded and they keep me focused but you know this that my job is my job my job is not who I am. Mm. It's a way to make a living. It's something I enjoy enjoyed a great deal I'm retired now. Um, and but it was not who I was. Mm. Mm. And, and so I think that was, you know, I just kept that sorted. I always had lots of friends, lots of hobbies, lots of activities and interests beyond
0: police work. Yeah. One way that um, one of the listeners, Catherine Merrifield, came at that that issue of the mental toll was to focus specifically on, you know, when a police officer, in your case, a, um, a detective has to kill someone in the line of duty. Um you know, how, how do you experience that? What is it like afterwards? Is that something that you'd be willing to address? I know it might be kind oh, of sensitive. Yeah, no. I'm happy
1: to address it, um, but I don't have personal experience with it. The reality of it is almost very few police officers end up killing someone in the line of duty. Less than 1%, I would say, and I don't have statistics in front of me, but Less than one percent of the cops I knew ever had to kill someone in the line of duty. I did do a lot of investigations on the officer involved shootings because that's one of the responsibilities of homicide division as well as just regular um, homicides. We also do any police shootings. And so I got to see the toll that it takes on people. and it's devastating, mm-hmm. and that's one thing I really I've been trying to get out there on social media during this whole Ferguson thing and I don't defend anybody's actions here because I, I know that it, it's extremely upsetting for everybody to see what, what's happened. But the one thing that I really want people to know is that very, very few, if any, cops ever want to get in a shooting. Mm. Um, you know, we go to work and our worst nightmare is to be in a police shooting, is to have to shoot someone. Mm. It's not something a cop... I, I, frankly, I never met a cop who said, I really want to shoot someone. I hope someday I get in a shooting. It's mm-hmm. just, I've never heard of it. It right. just doesn't happen. And so I think there's sort of this strange thought or idea being perpetuated in, in some aspects of media that you know we go out there with this excited idea that we're going to find somebody and we're going to shoot them, and that's just not true. Mm. It's so far from the truth. Yeah. And when, when it happens, your life... As the police officer is ruined, you are a mess. Or you know, it's especially if it's an un. If the if the shooting, they, they they categorize shootings as good or bad, which just means good. It was reasonable. The officer did what he needed to do to defend himself or another. It was within the realm of what was acceptable. Or bad, meaning he should not have shot. But if the officer is found to have made a mistake or done something that could be illegal, his life is ruined. And I I said on social media, I said, I would personally rather be dead than be the officer who's being accused of wrongdoing, because Mm -hmm. it is horrible. It is horrible. And you, you just can't even imagine it, because also we are people who... Most of us have sort of a rescue complex. We think we, we want to save the world. We want to mm-hmm. help people. Almost all of us signed up with the, you know, I was going to be a nurse. I couldn't be a nurse, so I became a cop. You mm-hmm. know, something where you save people. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, we all have our stuff that brought us to the job. Um, but the last thing we want to do is hurt somebody yeah. who doesn't, who shouldn't be hurt. So it's really, you know, that, that's what I think the public doesn't fully understand and i know part of it is that there are so many cop shows and in the cop shows it's incessant shooting constant gunfights and in reality it's that's just not our job 90% yeah. of our job is going to the housing projects talking to people who are having fights with their neighbors or their wives or their sons or You know, or or just talking to community members or stores that were robbed and people, you know, just regular people and just Mm. talking to them and and catching people who did crimes, you know, that...
0: you know, I did. I did want to end on Ferguson because it has been so much on all of our minds. Um, and I was very curious to know, and it's been helpful to hear you talk through it, how how you react um, watching a situation like that unfold and and the coverage of it. Um, it's really helpful to hear your thoughts. the The thing I'm curious about, though, is the you know very different experiences that. Uh, you know, black people have with police versus white, which seem to be very well documented. Would you agree that that's a reality?
1: Um, I definitely think that there is racism in America. And there is no doubt in my mind that it is extremely difficult to be a black man in our culture. And I think that the police are sort of the only, often the only, white people who go into housing projects, along with social workers and other first responders. So we have sort of a unusual relationship inside housing projects and inside sometimes the black community. And, um, you know, I, I can't speak for what it's like to be a black man in our culture. I just, I imagine it is difficult in many, many ways, and I wouldn't begin to try to guess what life is like in Ferguson because we've so far removed from San Francisco. So, you know, I can't, you know, I know I'm not really answering your question, mm. but um, yes, I mean, racism exists. Um,
0: was it a topic was it, that was discussed in the context of trainings and, and that sort of thing? Oh,
1: sure. Yeah. We're yeah. constantly trained in San Francisco um, to be culturally aware, to be sensitive to the different groups that we encounter, um, we, in the last, I don't know, my last five years, I, I suppose, they, they really started focusing on transgender people and, um, how to address people who, um, who may present as one gender or the other to ask them how they want to be addressed, um, mm-hmm. things like that that would just increase our sensitivity to other people's, um, other people's lives, you know, mm-hmm. and yes, definitely we are, you know, we, we have like a whole week full of training on where we go into different communities and talk to leaders from the black community and leaders from the Chinese community and the gay community and and try, you know, and obviously a day of that kind of training is not going to make you understand what it is to be a black person in Mm -hmm. America, but we are trained and taught sensitive.
0: Well, thank you for weighing in. I know um, it's a hard issue and it's a hard issue to talk about. And I appreciate that you're not only here doing that, but also out on social media doing it because I think um, thoughtful discussion is is what's really needed. So thank you for being a part of that. And uh, last thing, just tell me a little bit about your book so people can look out for it. Oh, yeah. Thank you.
1: Um, It's called Good Cop, Bad Daughter. Memoirs of an Unlikely Police Officer by Karen Lynch. And, um, it's about growing up in the Haight Ashbury in the 60s with this crazy mother who took me all around the world. And, um, that was part of her craziness. And I ended up in, in orphanages and all sorts of places when she ended up in mental hospitals. And how that inadvertently trained me to become a cop because it gave me such exposure to, adapting to all sorts of different situations and, right. and you know i really got to see a lot of the world a lot of different kinds of people and i learned how to talk to different people and how to calm a crazy woman down and all sorts of things So that's mm-hmm. what the book's about and it's um... getting great reviews It got a great critic review and people are really enjoying it and i hope people will read it and i hope it's, it's also what it, the story of what it was like for the first women cops and the police academy experience and And what that was all like, I wanted to chronicle that because I didn't feel like that had really been done from a a woman's point of view before.
0: Yeah, and we didn't dig into that angle much because there's so many angles to dig into. But I look forward to reading the book and learning more about that. I had um, the pleasure a couple years ago of speaking to um, a woman in the New York City Fire Department who at the time was one of 26 women in a— force of 10,000. And uh, it was just, it was fascinating. And, and I imagine that, that you and she have uh, tackled some similar barriers, and, and it'll be a pleasure to read your story. That wraps up the interview for today. Thanks again very much to my guest, Karen Lynch. Thanks also to everyone who's written an essay for work's Do, And finally, thanks very much to you for listening today. The next episode will be released in two weeks, and I hope you'll check it out. In the meantime, please let me know what you thought of the interview by sending an email to kate at workstew.com, by posting a comment on the Workstew website, or by writing a review for iTunes. Thanks again, and bye for now.